0: There is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using, you know, sites like Twitter, Product Hunt and Reddit. There's no time. Like the 2020s to build a company, yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live, you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are and you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of forward thinking investors, I wanna dive into this world. I wanna help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists and how do they think about their day to day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build a billion dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors, where we talk to investors about markets, founders, and how they got into venture. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Malin Yen, who's a founder and partner at Operator Collective, and Leila Seca, who's also a partner at Operator Collective. Welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Great. Great. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you both on. Um, as mentioned before we started recording, when I saw kind of the, the the massive kind of social media excitement around Operator Collective when you first launched, I thought it was awesome. And I'm really excited to dive in deeper on this podcast. I think to start, um, can one of you kind of dive into... Um, you know, before we go into your individual stories, I kind of want to start with Operator Collective. What is Operator Collective and how did you both um, come to get involved with it?
1: <laughs> Great. No, happy to. So, so um, Leila and I are both longtime um, enterprise tech executives. Um, although I come from it from a weirder background, and Layla comes from it from more of a traditional rock star background. <laughs> um, so, I, um, so so we most identify as, so um, when you step back from the venture world, it revolves around primarily VCs and founders, um, with good reason, because there would be no venture-backed startups if there were no VCs or founders. But we, what we knew from our experiences is that um, when you move beyond that initial idea, and you need to move beyond the founding team, who do you need to bring in? You don't hire other founders, you don't hire VCs. What you do is you need to hire people who um, oftentimes have done it before, especially in the enterprise, which is the area that we focus on, which are operators, people who build, run and scale companies. And so Layla and I came from this world. And so we knew a lot of people that were like us and said, hey, if there's an efficient way of bringing operators into the venture ecosystem, that would be incredibly valuable to founders as well as, oper- um, as well as to VCs. And at the same time, because you tend to know a lot of people like you, um, for us, women, people of color, a lot of those operators that we knew had built and scaled up these amazing companies like Stripe and Gusto and, 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 and Confluent and Salesforce and Google happened to be experienced operators with um, awesome companies who were women and people of color. And so that's why we both had a lot of passion around this, which is it's a way of not only having a new approach to venture that brings in this underrepresented skill set, which are operators, efficiently into the venture ecosystem, but why we separately each had a lot of passion around this, and you'll hear a little bit of our stories, is because we knew that this was a way to bring in a lot of highly talented operators who happened to also be women and people of color. And by doing that, we knew that we could influence these companies from the early days, um, companies that will hopefully be the most successful companies in the world, and we could influence them so that from the ground up, they would naturally have access to these networks of people that typically wouldn't have intersected with them because operators do really exist in a different ecosystem and a different network than a lot of these startups and founders. So that's a little bit of a, the long story in a nutshell, um, but Layla, I'm sure can, can add a little bit to that. Yeah, no, I think Malin
2: really nailed it. For, for us, I mean, we can each get into our individual stories and whatnot, but the reality was um, there just weren't a lot of women or anyone else, there was a lot of white guys giving white guys money and everyone getting rich. Bravo, I love white guys, married one, made two, no problem, all good. But you know, we all should have a little bit more of a stake in the game and, and Malin came up with this and put it together and it was an idea that a lot of us had been percolating on. She's had the wherewithal to kind of make it real. Um, and then as we joined forces, I think one of the most interesting thing that's happened is the community around Operator Collective. I mean, you mentioned the social media when we launched um, that was the community, you know, that wasn't me and Malin. So I think what we both have always done in our careers is create community around the things we were building, whether that be the Exchange or RPX or Cisco or Salesforce or Saster, all of these things that, you know, both Malin and I have had a part of. We both spent a lot of time thinking about the people that would surround the things we were building. And we put that same energy into Operator Collective and you can see it.
0: So what I kind of want to do is dive a little deeper into operator collective like what is it you know you know how do people interact with it what are the parts of it so people can understand you know what this is and then I would love to dive into you know how you got to a, a place where you were able to put this together. So ultimately both of your backgrounds. But I think, you know, my next question, for people that may not be familiar with Operator Collective, maybe the functions of it, can, what is, you know, what are the different parts of Operator Collective? And if someone was to interface with it, what does that look like? Is it a fund? Is it a community? Is it, is it a network? Is it all of it? You know, can you break down Operator Collective for me?
2: The short answer is yes, Matt, it is all of those things, but we will break it down a wee bit more. So first and foremost, we're a fund. We are an enterprise SaaS software fund. Malin and I are the partners. We make most of the investment decisions. We have an operating partner named Ambrosia for who is amazing, who helps us do that. She was the head of HR at Duo and Hootsuite. Um, so we are a mighty, but you know, small but mighty team. Um, so yes, we are a fund and we invest. And a lot of the community you see on our website is our LP base, right? So. Those are the people who very graciously and with a lot of confidence in us gave us their money so that we could build this, you know, 50 plus million dollar fund that Malin sort of founded. And then I think the other, so there's that, right? Um, and the fund is closed. We can't take any more investors right now. So, you know, unfortunately and we'd love to in the future and we can talk about that, but, um, but the other thing, and I think this is where, you know, Mallon and I each have a superpower around community and that brought us together as partners in an interesting way too. We wanted to help educate everyone. You know, Malin got a real quick education in venture. She did a lot of cool stuff, um, you know, near Sasser, near RPX, near these different companies. I got a really cool uh, look at it from App Exchange. And when we came together, we really wanted to be something that educated people. So there's a community component to Operator Collective. And you can sign up on our website. You can start getting our newsletter. When things sort of open back up, we'll start having events again. We had something called Operator Summit, which we you know, highlighted. Our, our objective is to make venture more approachable. Now, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, what else? What else? I think. Wait, I mean that.
0: That's. I mean that's. I was just gonna ask, kind of diving a little deeper. I love to hear, you know, from, from from Alan on this. You know, I'm I'm on your website, and you have the the CEOs of some extremely extremely well known and great companies. You know that have you know that are LPs that are a part of a part of this. It kind of leads me to, you know, wonder, you know, how were you able to get all of them involved? Which really leads me to walk me a little through um, how how did you get to this point where you could kind of create the operator collective? And, um, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, which kind of gave you um, the ability to build trust with all of these people to create this great organization, this great fund. So let's dive into your backgrounds if if you're if you're open to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I have the strangest background ever for um, a VC, which is I started out my career as an intellectual property attorney. <laughs> Um, and I think to this day, I'm still the only one that anyone's ever heard of that that was an intellectual property attorney that became a VC. Um, and so, but my first startup. So um, this is actually my fourth startup that I've been a part of building and scaling up. It's my final one. Everything else was prep for this point. <laughs> and Layla and I will die doing this. <laughs> Hopefully, in a long, long, long time going forward. Anyway, but but all those experiences. When people say, "How long were you focused? How long were you building this fund?" I, I literally was like, I'm like, you know what? Really, it was about two years, but really, it was like 20 years because it was every experience that came into it. From the first time, when I was head of IP at Cisco, I was one of only um, seven women who were heads of IP at a tech, um, you know, at a tech company, um, a major tech company, because there were so few of us. And that was a community that we built around that. The second one was a venture-backed startup that we took from zero to hundred million in public in three years, but I was such an outsider to venture that I didn't realize that that was unusual. Um, but everyone did that, and um, and it turns out you learn some skills when you're doing that. Um, and then the third um, was a part of Saster, and then this is this is Operator Collective now. But all those experiences went into this, which is I most even with all those experiences, I most identified as an enterprise operator who was on the outside, who was on the periphery, and not one of the the people who are part of the 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 hip venture ecosystem. And it seems so inaccessible when you're on the outside. It's like wow, they're always like. Tweeting to each other and putting each other on lists and, and all this. And I was like, wow, they're the cool kids. And like, I'm this boring enterprise operator who's, you know, deals with patents all day. Um, And so, but when I started to realize as I, um, we actually ended up taking RPX private again. And, um, and, and so I found myself for the first time with a little extra time on my hands and said, um, And I started to go on the journey that I think a lot of, and I'm going to generalize here a bunch. I totally get that, which is a lot of women are, we're so conditioned to be perfect at everything that we do, right? Perfect in our day jobs, perfect parents, perfect daughters, perfect family members, perfect friends, everything. Cause you, you, we, we, we don't want to let people down, which I actually don't think is a bad thing. And so, and so what happens with a lot of us women and what I was observing over time was that we give We work full-time. Layla had a humongous job at Salesforce. She has two boys and likes to spend time with her family. She has her priorities straight. And so what happens is you only focus on that and you don't focus on some of these other things that maybe other genders are able to do, which is maybe I do some deals. Maybe I do some angel investing, et cetera. You throw in like the gender pay equity gap on top of that too. There were forces that you could see which were keeping people like us out of investing in venture and making it inaccessible and also not an area that we're comfortable with. And so so if we could find a way, and I've been a builder, all of my companies have had a strong community aspect, is if we could actually find a way to make it natural for those networks that don't overlap, to be able to overlap with each other and for these people to know each other, then that's how we're going to make things happen. And so both Layla and I built a lot of products and launched a lot of new businesses that have grown up to be, you know, billion dollar plus businesses. And so we know we're, you know, meticulous about product market fit. Where's the gap? How do we do this? Um, The fact that our LP base is 90% women, 40% people of color obviously was deliberate and doesn't happen by accident, but we started with who are these incredible operators that have been building up these companies. And a lot of them quietly in the background, you've heard of some of them, as you can see from the website, but I bet a lot of those on the website, you've never heard of because there were people like me who were like literally like quietly in the background building because I'm just trying to survive my day job. And I'm trying to survive by, you know, being able to see my family and maybe get a little bit of exercise. So anyway, that's how it came about, which is we have to make it easier for these people who had these incredible skill sets to come into venture. And then from there, um, was fortunate to, you know, it, you always remember like your first investors and the first people you came to. Um, Layla was actually not the first person I went to because I was so intimidated by Layla because she was like the like, she was like, like like for, for me, she was like the epitome of like success in, in SAS. She like knew everyone. And so You're I was like, I can't approach Layla until I have everything a little bit more set up. <laughs> like literally, I was like, it's got to be good because she was like, she was so revered. Uh, and now I get to call her my partner, which is really awesome. Um, and so I went to a couple of people who were women um, like like me. Um, who had these big corporate jobs but didn't didn't weren't able to 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 um, to invest. And so the first one was actually Erica um, Erica Schultz. She is the president of Confluent, which is actually uh, she's the responsible for all revenue there. She, it's the fastest growing enterprise. I mean, it's the fastest growing startup that Benchmark has ever invested in. She's totally badass, and she built up the the enterprise business at New Relic before that. And I saw her at um, a conference, and I didn't know her that well. And I happened to be sitting next to her, and said. Hey, I'm thinking about this idea. You want to hear it? And I gave her the pitch. She's like, "Oh my god, I'm totally in!" And I was like, and I was in this thing about like women need to do more business with each other. I'm like, "Okay, how much?" And then she said a real number. And the thing is, is she was very typical of us, which is that she had built up huge revenue businesses. Had um, she was um, she had a, she was a mom with two kids, and she had never invested in venture before. I mean, this is the person everyone wants on their cap table. And so she's like, I was thinking about it, but I don't know if I know enough. And she's like, I'm in. And so, and what what is great is ever since then, like now she's invested in a number of companies because you, you, you educate, you, you, you make it more accessible. You make it more familiar because it's true. Like who doesn't want Eric on their count table? So anyway, you started by building kind of one person at a time. And, and I was also fortunate in to have known Eric Yuan for a long time um, from his Cisco days. And of course he was, he was an early supporter. So that's how we have the cluster of, um, of, of zoom folks. But let me, let me pause there. Um, Cause that was, that was a lot of talking.
0: <laughs> well, it was, it was a lot in the greatest way. Like you, you've done so you've both done, you know, so much. And I do want to hear about a little bit of Layla's Salesforce days in a second, but you're so accomplished. And, what you decided to do is now this, which is now like the epitome of uh, like, of like the, the kind of the end game, it seems like for you, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, and I think is re- really cool to watch from the outside and now a little bit from the inside through this conversation. Um, but, you know, apparently, you know, Layla was this total badass Salesforce exec, um, but now you guys are working together. So now I want to hear the other side of the story from, 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 from Layla. How did, how did, you know... How'd you guys? I don't know if I'm such a, a badass. You yeah. guys are
1: being very nice. So, be thanks so all Don't be so. She's this late late morning. Late. I'm appreciating that. Layla <laughs> builds <little> Salesforce. <laughs>
2: wow! Oh wow! Now we're really going for it. Um, yeah. Okay. So I uh, joined Salesforce when it was about 1,800 people, $500 million in software. Um, I left uh, roughly just a little shy of 12 years later, when it was about um, 52,000 people and somewhere north of $17 billion. Um, I was primarily responsible for the app exchange during my tenure there. So that's the largest enterprise app ecosystem in the world. So in a strange way, even though I didn't realize that I was training to be a venture capitalist that entire time, because I pretty much saw every single enterprise SaaS software company that came online in the last 12 years. It went by my desk at one point or another, um, which was great for pattern recognition. Um, I, I came to it from a slightly different angle, and, and, and we can get into that. But basically, you know, when I worked at Salesforce, we bought a lot of companies, north of 100. Um, and every time we bought a company, I was involved because that had something to do with the app exchange, you know, the impacts in the world. Um, and uh, what I started noticing would be by these companies, great companies, these great teams would come in. Often the founders were white guys. they come in, they stay a couple of years, they'd leave, they'd go become venture capitalists. And, you know, I was a product exec and one of the few female product execs um, sort of at that time. And, and that's throughout my career, not just at Salesforce, but... Um, and so I would see then that these guys would leave and then they'd call the male product execs and be like, hey, Mike, Adam, John, why don't you join my venture fund or angel invest in this company or give me a little of this? And no one was calling me. Um, and so someone left that I was very close to to do this. And when he left, I said, you're going to call me and I'm going to give you some money and we are going to do some investing. Um, and so I did that and he's brilliant. And he went early into Robinhood and we made a lot of money. And so for me, this became an income inequality issue and if you hearken back a little more, I was one of the two women that went to Mark Benioff and told him that he wasn't paying the women the same as the men, which led to the equal pay initiative that ran through corporate America. So like, I had a heavy hand in, the, of all the things that pissed me off about inequality, and there are a number of them, nothing makes me more angry than the money. Because if we can't make the money, we will never be able to get in the game, right? So for me, this thing in venture became just another area where women and people of color were being left out of an income stream. So I actually called all my friends, like April Underwood had done hashtag angels with her friends and I called Erica and I was like, we should all put some money in and try to invest, but I had no idea how to set any of this up. And I was running the app exchange, so I conflicted out of everything, right? Um, So it was like a great, you know, I was like, oh, and then it went away. And then I saw Malin and I'd known Malin for a long time. You know, I I knew uh, we'd been around each other. Um, and I was actually coming to speak at Sastra and I was late, so late. Like I've never been so late to an event. And she sort of said, hey, I'm starting this blend. And I think I yelled across the room, like, I'm in. Like just not, had no idea what she was, I was like, yes, finally someone's doing this, I'm in. Um, and then we started working together and we are a really good pair. We are a good partnership. You know, there's a little introvert, extrovert. There's a lot of we both run on a lot of, we have similar instincts. I think we have a witchy sense that we share together where we like, you know, we get feelings about things and and we're, it's a very good partnership. And we, you know, we, we've had a lot of fun and it's been really something that's been well received by Silicon Valley, which I was very happy about.
1: So neither one of us had set out to say, we want to be a VC like someday, I actually think it's far more interesting to be an operator, or a founder and building and scaling things. But the reason why we we did this rather than you know, Layla was had a few offers because she left Salesforce. So when she first joined, she joined as an LP and then, um, and then she left Salesforce and had been working a lot on the side, helping um, sort of like not quite on the side, (laughs) just helping a lot. And she was getting recruited to a bunch of CEO positions. And I was like, Layla, why don't you just come do this full time? You're pretty good at it. So lucky for me, she, she came on board, but, but why we both did this was not because we had this burning desire to be a CEO. We, we both love helping companies. We both love being able to see these companies flourish. It's something that we've both done a lot of. But for us, it was deeper of saying, we. if we want to expand wealth creation in this country and in this world, we need to start from the ground up and we need to see how we can influence it. Because waiting until a company is the size of Salesforce or or even 100 people or 1,000 people, et cetera, it's it's very hard to influence. But by investing in these companies and getting with them early on, one, we're expanding wealth creation because it's not the same group of, you know, remember when Lyft went public and there was a graphic on the New York Times um, um, digital edition where it showed like the little dots of the people, like the same founders or or the same, the same PayPal people are getting rich again and again from all these companies. And it just kept shifting. We're like, look, we're not trying to say, you know, take it away from them. What we're saying is, can you expand that? So it's not just the same group again and again, because we've actually now co-invested with some of those people, um, which is great. They're, they're very smart and great investors. But, and the thing is, is they actually want to bring in people like us, but we don't hang out with people like that like like we just don't and so um so the idea here was can we one make a lot of money for this group of highly talented people for whom this world is not accessible and also bring our naturally more diverse networks into these companies because it is very hard um, to hire people who are not like you and a lot of founders especially in the enterprise tend to be um in in the past, tend to be homogenous white males, and and so so we naturally bring our networks into it as advisors, as early executives, as as um, as as board members, etc. And so that's that's really what kind of drove why we both decided to do this versus versus something else.
0: So, as Layla said, as describing operator collective, you said you know for, uh, you. Overall, the like, first thing she mentioned was it's a fun. So ultimately, you have LPs, you invest capital. Um, this is awesome. Let's kind of talk about um, the, this side of, of Operator Collective. Um, and then, I've you know, a, a couple more themes after that. So when a founder reaches out to you, when someone gets formentured to you, when, when something comes on your desk, how do you kind of evaluate, um, you know, different different deals? Uh, are you looking at different markets? You know, different types of founders, different stages. On the VC side, um, how do you kind of uh, um, how do you evaluate all these opportunities?
1: Go ahead, Layla.
2: Um, so we, you know, we take them in. We look at them. We have a thesis, so we don't do consumer. We don't. You know, it's enterprise SaaS apps b2b like we like the unsex like regulatory compliance call us up that's what we want to talk to you about but um so you know we both grew up in an app centric world so we leverage the thesis a lot but when something does cross our desk that's exciting um we either one of us takes it or in some cases our operating partner will take it if it's more hr related just to sort of do a first call we also do something where we have um you know, a time each week where we hear pitches if they're related and they sort of work. I think for us, you know, there are sectors where we're doing stuff. We've done a lot in productivity, like developer productivity. We're seeing some really cool apps in that area and some cool solutions to old problems that have kept the product org sort of in the dark a little bit. And and one of the parts of the company, that's hard to understand what's happening. So there's exciting stuff in that. you know, there's a lot of, we've done a lot of cool stuff in go-to-market, sales productivity, some interesting stuff in that arena where we're really seeing people change the game with regard to how they think about that. Um, compliance, we have a great company that's doing called, you know, Datagrail that's doing some amazing stuff on that side. So for us, it really has to do with, are they solving a problem we believe is a real problem or more, even better, we felt. Because as Malin said, we're both operating executives. So I know, you know, we both know a lot of these issues because we lived them while we were in our operating careers. Um, Do they have a unique approach? Do they have the right sort of way they're going to do it? How is product market fit going? We look across all those and then can we help them, right? We're not a huge fund by Silicon Valley standards. Um, So we want to only pick people where we think it's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship where we... Engage well with them, and we can help them, and it, and it really works together. We're partners. Um, it's not so much about the check with us. I mean, you get the check, yes, but you also get us.
1: and and one of the one of the reasons why um, why this fund exists and why we rebuilt it from sort of the ground up is when he looked at like why. Why weren't why weren't women executives angel investing? Which is one access to deal flow and two, no time to do the diligence. Three, throw in the gender pay equity gap. We didn't have money to just sprinkle around to a hundred companies because you know, as well as we, we do, is that angel investing is the most risky investment. So so how can you um how that was what was keeping that was one of the forces that were keeping keeping the women operators out? But if you can harness the collective intelligence, drive that into better decision making, and then also allow someone to diversify their portfolio because investing is about diversifying. Your portfolio. It's not about picking randomly companies, but it's not also about picking just two companies or three companies, which is what you would be limited to because most of, a lot of these operators make a good living, but not enough to just spend a bunch of it on, on angel investing. And so, um, and so, what we do is they they want to be involved. Um, we rebuilt this. Um, it's it's a venture fund and legal structure, but we literally rebuilt this from the ground up to be optimized. For operators to make it accessible, it's not like just trying to tap on, you know, strap on an operator community on the side of a traditional venture fund. It just wouldn't work. Um, and so these these women have um, and men um, have skin in the game because they are LPs in the fund. Um, and so, and we created a sliding scale to make it accessible. Usually, it's at least a 250 million, uh, 250k minimum, but we actually did a sliding scale depending on your underrepresented background, how underpaid you were. That was as low as $10,000. And so, um, and so, these people are highly engaged. They want to be tapped. And so, these are some of the busiest men and women in the world. But when we ask them, they, 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 um, they, they, they jump right in. And the reason is, is we don't say, Hey, Matt. What do you think of this company? Should we invest? they be like, "Oh my God! How do I how do I evaluate this?" What we'll say is like, Matt, you're leading the customer success team at X. We've looked at all the customer success companies in the space. Here's the one that we found like them. We're trying to understand, you know, whether or not we should invest. Would you Would you be willing to talk to the founder, um, give them feedback, give us feedback? And like all good founders, they're going to try and sell you the product. And so our, our people, I'll say, well, yes, um, or, or occasionally when they're too busy, they'll say no, which is also why as part of the business model, we've created re- redundancy. We don't just have one COO, we have 18 of them, right? We don't have, and actually some of those COOs have become CEOs and presidents now, so it's a kind of a shifting number. Um, and so, and so, by, so that's part of our model, um, but that's part of why these LPs wanted to be a part of this is because they want to be involved in evaluating the companies, but we do it in a very specific way so that it, it's very efficient. And so um, and so that's also how the operators engage, which is part of the diligence process. After we've done our extensive vetting, then we, as part of our diligence process, we we reach out to our operator community. In the case of, for instance, like Datagrail, which Layla just mentioned, we reached out to five of our companies, three of them ended up buying. Um, by the time we even decided to invest, which is also, you know, the companies love that too. And then, and then once they're, uh, once they're part of our portfolios, then we work with them very closely on, you know, what are the challenges with building and scaling? If they're looking, a lot of people are high. I mean, hiring is one of the biggest parts of, of building great startups. And so, so we open our network. We've had a number of those referrals end up in actual hires. So that's, that's also how they engaged.
0: So g- going back to the kind of opportunity for white men uh, versus, you know, people that aren't white men. Um, I always felt, you know, as I was doing my podcast that like, I had like good intentions. I was one of the, the ones that like cared and, and I do care, but I realized late, um, late uh, Q2. Um, I look at someone, I don't know if someone asked me or I just was self-reflective enough or not whatever, but I looked back at my podcast RSS feed and like, it's like eighty percent white guys, and I really I had this moment where I'm like, huh? Even me, a good a good guy, um, yeah. still, still, you know, kind of not solving this at all, almost being part of the problem. So I committed to the the latter half of this year to um by the by the queue 4 half of the guests that I have are not white men, um, just like as a challenge to, to me. And so far I'm I'm on track, but like it took me. year and a half to realize that my question for for either of you is how can um how do you guys kind of think about the blind spots in 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 young founders or old founders any age founders but may not see this as a problem and how do you kind of educate the world on kind of moving things to the direction that is more equitable for for all even if like we think that we're quote unquote like good guys and you need like a realization to realize that that's maybe not enough
1: so I'll, I'll give you another example, going back to the company of Data, uh, of, of Data Grail, um, because it is, it's not that, sometimes you're just not aware, but when you are made aware of it, you're like, oh no, they just like you did, like, how, how did that happen? right this is not me and so i'll I'll give you the example of actually data Grail. so i met um daniel who's the ceo of data Grail, because i love boring unsexy industries like data privacy compliance and i was like this is awesome and i met with him and i was like okay i want to angel invest in this because this is before the fund was put into place and i said what's the rest of your cap table look like he showed me the cap table and i was like daniel am i going to be the first and only woman on your cap table and he literally like turned white he's like oh my god he's like I didn't realize that he goes, I did talk to, he goes, but this was my network, right? These are the people who said yes, because he actually, and, and he, and then he was horrified because he's like, my dad died when, when, when I was four, I've been raised by a single mom who like had to work. And she's like, he's like, I can't believe I did this. I'm like, don't worry. Like, like, this is what we're going to make it easier to do, which is how do you ac- access you know the people who can be on your cap table who can help you who also come from backgrounds that don't look like yours because you tend to know a lot of people who look like you that's 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 a fact um, and so so as a result of that what's interesting is every single board member and board observer who's joined data grail since since I invested has been a woman. Um, it, we weren't like trying to like not have men. It just happens to be that case as well as the, the investor who ended up leading the seed um, is, is someone that we had brought in. And so part of this was when we looked at the problem of how do you make it natural for these people to intersect? Because if you don't know each other and you don't have the warm intros, because it's like if Daniel had randomly tried to reach out to some angel investor on LinkedIn who happens to be a woman or person of color, what are the chances that they're gonna say yes um, but we can say, hey, this is a company we're thinking about investing in. This is what they're doing. This is a problem, et cetera, et cetera. Then one, they can invest because we're they're invested in operator collective, or they might decide to angel invest on top of that. And so um, and so, I'm glad that, that you had that moment, but I, th- I would say that most of the companies that we deal with don't have to be convinced that they want there to be um, diversity in their employee and their investor base, they see the value of it. That time, I think we're privileged to be in, you know, in the in the situation like this. Um, and so, and then on the second point that I'll, I'll I'll mention too is, we were very deliberate in building our LP base. Because what I actually didn't want to do is, so most, so enterprise technology, which is where we invest, it's the, the stats are even worse than they are when you look at consumer and, and enterprise. So it's primarily dominated by a, like a homogenous group. And so what we wanted to do was um, early on, I was like, what I don't want to do is substitute this group of like basically white males with a group of like white and Asian women. And, and say, oh, that's diversity or rich white and Asian women. And so that's why we created the sliding scale, but that's also why we very deliberately went to people like Stacy Brown Philpot, who's incredible, right? She's a, she just stepped down to CEO of TaskRabbit. And um, and she and she's she like, I would love this idea, et cetera, et cetera. I said, Well, will you help me? Because your network of um of black women and black executives and black operators is gonna be larger than mine. And so can you help me so that we can build this so we just don't, you know, substitute one homogenous group for another homogenous group. So people like that um, helped us build this so that we weren't just, you know, swapping one status quo for, for something that was slightly different.
0: And one of a question that both of you can answer, if you if you have separate answers, but you know you've been builders, you know for for your whole career, um, and now you're you're like you're founders, right? You're founders of Operator Collective, uh, uh, you know, you're early stage building this up. What have you learned um, about building operator collective that you maybe didn't know beforehand? Um, it could be about the market, about funds, about well, whatever. But what have been some new learnings that both of you have come come across as you've um, built out uh, built out uh, operator collective?
1: Well, one thing, and I, I want to let let Layla address this, but one other thing is, is Layla also founded. Um, was one of the co-founders of Black Venture Institute, which she did this summer. So I hope that she'll address some of that as part of this, because building that was was an impressive feat and, and hugely impactful. We took a lot of what we learned from here, um, but uh, but she can talk to that talk to that talk about that as well.
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, there are a lot of learnings. I think the most interesting learning is that venture is not as inaccessible as they make it seem. Right? They make it seem like it's some big impossible thing to do. That's not true. This is not that impossible to do. I mean, yes, the main thing is being connected, right? Which is why we spent so much time on the community aspect of Operator Collective. Um, and as far as Black Venture Institute, you know, I think that's another great example where I was sort of um, in a position where I sit on the board at the Engineering School at Cal Berkeley. Um, I obviously have deep roots at Salesforce. So, you know, it's like a family basically. I was I worked there for an incredibly long time. Operator Collective, um, and then it was you know. As much as we tried to get as many black operators as we could the numbers still aren't great. I don't you know we're not sitting here saying woohoo us we're amazing. It's it's okay. It's better than most but it's not even yet so there's work to be done. So that really came about sort of my understanding of this is not impossible to do and if I just was taught a couple key terms like what's a safe and how do you put together an SPV what does it mean valuation from pre and post and back into the rounds and what do you do with a convertible note this is not that complicated I'll tell you what running you know billions of dollars of revenue at a public company is way harder than this BTW Um, so I think from from that vantage point the idea was that if we could give 50 black operating executives access to this information and sort of access to these networks we could get more black check writers out. You know, there are only 75 people, black people that can write checks and venture capital right now. It's pathetic. So, you know, as far as founding things, you know, I don't really freak out about that. I spent my whole life watching people taking vows for finding things, being founders of things that often just ended up on the shelf. Um, I think it's interesting. I'm much more interested in the people that we are doing this with and the team around Operator Collective and this community, community building around Black Venture Institute. I'm not just in it to make money. I mean, trust me, we're going to make money. But I would like venture capital to change. I would like it to look much different quickly. I'm not interested in waiting another 20 years. I want this to happen fast. So whatever it takes to make that happen, that's what we're going to do.
0: And one question on that front Um the the answer might just be operator collective but i'm curious if, if there's anything else you know there's it, it, i i'm also someone uh, um you know who sees some of the cha- a lot of the challenges with venture i would also like it to change based on some of my own experience and i think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people that are in that bucket so do either of you have like um uh what is it r, r-, r- uh, rfc request for change that someone out there that wants to Make some impact in venture, something that they can do. Whether it means a certain type of company, certain type of fund, certain type of activity, what can other people do to further the mission of what Operator Collective is doing? Which is really the mission of so many. It just takes some force. What can people? What can people do? Um, you know, can I help push this along. Well, look at what
2: you did, Matt. I mean, you. Realized you weren't as woke as you thought you were, which I think all of us realized this year in some way or another. I consider myself very woke. I had a moment where I was like, wow, I'm not that woke, right? Um, So this was a year for all of us to do a gut check on that. And then you changed your behavior, right? Um, And you made a commitment to doing things a little differently. I think it doesn't have to be that complicated. I think people need, if you're hearing from white founders, they just say, I need to hear from black founders too, make it even, or, or I need to hear from women founders. You have a lot of control. You know, you can control what happens to your podcast, to your fund, to your company, to whatever you're working on. I mean, it was the same thing with equal pay at Salesforce. Make a commitment to change and then hold to that commitment. And eventually things start to move.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I, uh, I pr- appreciate that. And yeah, it was very, it was a very quick this is a thing that I realized, but the impact is now, um, I mean, my whole, my RSS, just check out Forward Thinking Founders. That's like a very different RSS feed. Um, now That's rad. Right. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Proud of
2: yourself. I mean, it's not, you didn't solve world hunger, but you did something. And if more people did stuff like that, things would look differently.
0: Well, the hope is that the podcast keeps growing and I become, you know, the, the podcast becomes more well known. So then, it, if the podcast becomes more well known, so will women founders, so will black founders, and so will white founders. Just all, everyone will will become you know more known. Um, Malin, for for you as the as the. Um, you know, is one of the, like the, the creator behind this, the person that kind of spearheaded and founded Operator Collective. Do you have anything that you kind of wish, you know, in addition, more people were doing or thinking about, or almost like a, a wish list that you wish the industry could kind of just like, um, kind of cross off one day?
1: Um, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> there's there's you know we want I you know I want a world where where Um, you know, where, where the people in the leadership aren't, you know, are, are, uh, have, have more, have more diverse backgrounds, right? Where you don't have um, a lot of the dynamics that we have now, but, but backing up, I guess I would say is that you can, each one of us has a lot more influence than we think we do, right? Your podcast does have an enormous amount because, because when you highlight women and people of color who, don't have, who aren't recognized, that makes a huge difference. And so we have things that we can do that are within our control. And then, and, and the other thing is, is when you're building something, um, is, is that you both lay and I are meticulous about building, right? Which is what's the gap? What's the product market fit? You, you do a lot of research, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm sure you do that when you, you, when you're doing your podcast, which is what, what, what's, what's, what am I going to focus on? And so, um, and so what I would say to people is like, don't, don't let don't let, don't let what you think is the, the, the status quo hold you back, right? Don't let it's like venture is only done this way. I, you know, so many people told me like, you're never going to raise a fund as a solo GP. That's, that's bigger than like five or $10 million. You've never been a VC before. You don't have a long track record. Uh, By the way, you should raise it from friends and family and you're never going to get institutional money. It actually turns out we have a $50 million fund where we have, um, universities and foundations, which is very, very rare for a first-time fund, because you, 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 you hear about that and you're like, you know what, I'm not going to accept that. But also you don't just dismiss it. What you do is you say, like, why are they saying this? And how can I counter that and actually turn it into a strength? Because the thing is, is if I if I if we'd set this up as a typical venture fund, one, neither Layla and I would do it because <laughs> it wouldn't be of interest to us. But second, when I was in the early days and it was just me, it's like, Why would anyone fund me if I was raising a fund that was trying to be the next venture fund that looked like everyone else's venture fund? There's no competitive advantage and and it's not compelling. And so when you, I would say that when, so anyone out there who's trying to drive change is listen listen to the naysayers, right? Listen to the naysayers not to stop you from what you're doing, but to say, how can I actually change that? Because this shouldn't be the case or here's how we're going to get around it and here's how we're going to actually turn it into a strength. And so that I hope that people feel the confidence that, look, if an intellectual property attorney can go from just, you know, dealing with patents all day to, to running a venture fund, like really kind of anything's possible.
0: And for my, for my last question, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this and they're like, wow, like these people are badasses. Like I want to learn more about operator collective. I want to get involved. I want to be an investment, things like that. If someone wanted to learn more about either of you, learn more about operator collective um, and just kind of get more into your uh, ecosystem online or your, your atmosphere, how, how can they do that? How can they kind of find you both kind of on the interwebs?
1: yeah would love would love people to to be part of our community so operator collective is centered around a fund because that was that was the initial glue right that brought people together because because the other idea was like, otherwise it's just like another women's dinner group that you have a lot of fun, but then you go off and do everything else. But so that's, that's the glue that keeps everyone together. But there's a lot of people who are part of Operator Collective who are not investors in the fund. Not everyone is in a position to be an investor in the fund, but we love that they're actually part of our broader community. So um, I hope that they sign up for our mailing list so that they get access to our events, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and otherwise. But but community is a big part of part of Operator Collective because as a as a there's a lot of ulterior motives behind Operator Collective. But one of the things also was that there's actually not a community for operators, um, really, uh, within Venture, because it is very founder-centric. It is very VC centric. And so we also want this with Operator Summit and some of the other events, is we want Operator Collective to be a community for operators, um, you know, in, in the tech industry.
0: Cool. Well, I appreciate both of you for coming on to the podcast. I think what you're doing with Operator Collective is is, is really powerful. And I think it's already started to make waves in the industry and, you know, we'll, we'll continue to make waves and just appreciate you giving up an hour of your time to coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having us.